you, Kim. We are in a series on the uh, Beatitudes of Jesus. They're found in Matthew's Gospels. Beatitudes means blessing, so there's eight blessings that Jesus offers um, in, these, in the beginning of this sermon. We're on number five today, and it is Matthew 5, 7, and it reads this way, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. The word of the Lord. During Lent, I've been listening to um, preachers online. Um, and I started, I'm listening to the pastors of the largest membership churches, 10 largest membership churches in the Presbyterian church. And, and that's been good for me because I don't get out much on Sunday. Um, and it's been interesting to see the diversity of the preaching and to hear what they're passionate about, and uh, it's helped me, I think, um, in, in hearing them. And this past week, I, I started with uh, Dr. Richard uh, Kenwisher, who is the new pastor at Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Atlanta. That's our largest <coughs> congregation in our denomination. And I wasn't trolling looking for... Um, illustrations or content or anything. I was really just looking for style and, and, and delivery and how they go about it. But, but Richard had an illustration that uh, caught my attention for today on this subject of mercy. He said this, let's say you're speeding, which none of you would do. And a cop pulls up behind you, gets out and uh, gives you a ticket. That would be justice. You got what you deserved. But let's say that same scenario, you're speeding, a cop pulls up behind you, gets out, and gives you a warning. That would be mercy. You did not get what you deserved. But he took it a step further. Let's say the same scenario happens and the cop comes up behind you, the lights come on and pulls you over, doesn't give you a ticket, doesn't give you a warning, but gives you a donut. You're not in Richmond, I can tell you that. That's grace. Grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. That's interesting, the way he put that. And, and you learn to talk like that when you live in Atlanta, I'll have to say. I mean, just kind of twist it up. Anybody from Atlanta? There's always one. Okay. Sorry. Mercy is more complicated than you might think. It's great when you need it. If you need mercy from somebody, it's a wonderful gift. If you have to give it to somebody, it can be a grind. I think about Jesus' parable on what we call the prodigal son. That's interesting because the word prodigal is not in the Bible. Jesus didn't call it the prodigal son. And, the, and it's really a prodigal about two sons, not just one. This younger son takes, Jesus makes this story up. So he has him take the inheritance from his father, which is interesting because 
in reality, the father would have to die in order for his estate to be sold off and for this kid to get all this money. So right away, you know, Jesus is sort of, um, you know, out there on a limb. But this kid gets his inheritance. He goes off and squanders it. Most of you know the story. But he squanders everything. He blows it on prostitutes and gambling and drinking and just uh, goes off. Jesus has that young guy end up in a pig pen, which is a terrible place for a Jewish person to end up because pork is unclean for Jewish people. So Jesus makes this thing up. I'm going to put him in the worst place you can think of as a Jewish person. He's in the pig pen eating the pods of the pigs. He's eating with the pigs. And all the Jews would go, oh, oh, you know. That'd be like a Duke fan having to go over to watch a Carolina ball game. I mean, you know, just not going to happen. Did I say that? <laughs> he, comes, he comes to his senses. Jesus has him sort of wake up in the pig pen to where he realizes, you know, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong place in my life. That happens to many of us. It's happened to me. Coming to your senses. You realize this isn't where I'm supposed to be. This is not the right place. I don't know how I got here in this relationship or in this job or in this sinful thing I'm into. I don't know, but I'm in a pig pen. And you wake up. And then he has this plan. I'm going to go home. My father's a gracious man. I'm going to go home, but I've got a plan for mercy. This is all the mercy I can imagine. That if I go home and say, Dad, uh, what I've done has been unthinkable, but would you just make me a hired hand? Just pay me minimum wage. Let me live in the bunkhouse. You don't have to treat me like a son anymore. I, I don't deserve that. He goes home with this limited plan of mercy. It's all the mercy he can see. And his father sees him coming, which means in the parable, Jesus has this father anticipating the son's return. He must be watching the road every day. And he runs out to the gate, what I'd like to call the gate of mercy. That's an important gate in the world. It's a gate that's closed until somebody opens it. And he runs out to this gate, and the son cannot get his limited mercy plan out of his mouth before his father slings open the gate, puts a robe on him, gives him the family signet ring that you do the wax with in the letter, and gives him his power back. Puts shoes on him, kills the fatted calf. That's the best meat in the house. And he throws a party. And all the people who come to the party in this made-up story are going to know that this is the son who took your hard-earned money and went and blew it on reckless living. And they're all at this party because this son, this son, came home. Oh, it's a powerful story of grace and mercy. If you need mercy... It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's overwhelming. But there's another son in that story. 
Actually, if we were to rename the parable, we should call it the parable of the elder son because that's the boy Jesus really is going after in this story. Why? Go look at who he tells that parable to. He tells it to the Pharisees. The smug, self-righteous, live-by-the-rules Pharisees. And he traps them in this parable because when they hear about this prodigal, they go, yeah, yeah, he should be in a pig pen. That's where he deserves to be. And Jesus said, well, there's this other son. Really? Yeah. The elder son. He goes to work every day. In fact, he clocks in uh, 15, 20 minutes early just to make sure there's oil in the tractors and all that. I mean, this guy's conscientious. And Jesus has him do everything he's supposed to do. And this elder son comes back home one night from work and smells barbecue roasting on the pit and hears a band, earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> and, he's, and he turns to a servant and he says, what? What is this? And the servant says, you haven't heard? And he says, no, I've not heard. I've been working. That's what elder sons and daughters say. Your brother came home. What? Yeah, your brother came home. And your dad saw him coming and he went down to the gate. Steve Easton in Richmond calls it the gate of mercy. He swung it open and he, he gave him back all of his status and he threw a party and all the neighbors have come. And the elder son said what elder sons and daughters say. I'm not going into that party. He didn't deserve it. Jesus has the elder son say some things that are interesting. Now, mind you, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's telling this story to them. So he puts some words in the mouth of the elder son that are interesting. I have worked all my life, day and night, and done all the right things, and my father has never thrown a party for me and my friends. I read somewhere once where a person said, do you know why the father never threw a party for the elder son and his friends? It's because he didn't have any friends. He was isolated in his self-righteousness. Rembrandt has a painting of this in St. Petersburg, and um, Henry Nouwen used it in a beautiful book he wrote on the prodigal son, The Return of the Prodigal. And Rembrandt has the elder son standing in his regal robes looking down on the father hovering over this broken prodigal. The shoes are tattered, the robe is torn, you can smell pig all over him. And the father is covering him and his head bowed over him. And the elder son is standing as about as tall as you can stand with that robe and is looking down on it as if to say, I will have nothing to do with this. See, mercy is a great thing when you need it. 
it's a hard thing to give when you're called on to do it. The father in that story gave mercy to both sons and neither one of them deserved it. And Jesus caught the Pharisees in that elder son. He spends a lot of time on mercy. Um, It's a big issue. When the disciples came to him one time and said, would you teach us to pray? You pray a lot, they noticed. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you know, I, I am the Messiah. And they said, yeah, but, you, you know, you don't pray like other people. You don't pray these long, fancy prayers like they pray in the temple. You seem to really be talking to God. Would you teach us to pray? And when Jesus did that, he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, there's only seven petitions in that prayer. Seven. That's it. You would think if he was going to teach them how to pray, there'd be five or six chapters on prayer. Nope. Seven petitions, seven perfect number for Jewish folks and for us, seven. If you're going to pick seven petitions to teach somebody to pray, you're going to pick the seven big stuff. You're not going to put anything fluffy or unimportant in the prayer because you only have seven petitions. Excuse me. One of those petitions is on forgiveness. You know how big that makes it? Top seven. Forgiveness. Jesus spoke so much about forgiveness. And in this petition, he said, pray this way. Forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive. That big word, as. Forgive us as we forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. They're connected. You can't go in the temple or go to God and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and then hold your brother or sister by the throat. It doesn't work that way. That's a dead-end street. Mercy is a two-way highway. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. You know, the motive for forgiving another person is that you are aware of how much God has forgiven you. Don't go to try to forgive somebody cold calling. Where you go in there not aware of God's grace for you. Like, God's never forgiven me of anything. I'm doing okay. But now I've got to forgive you. Look, that ain't going to work. You won't make it. You don't have enough gas in your tank to forgive. It is one powerful, life-changing thing. You know what forgiveness does? It takes the past and heals it and changes the future. Forgiveness changes the future. The future we were going to have, we're not going to have. We're going to have a different future because of mercy. We're not going to stay in the past. Boy, this is big stuff. Along those lines of reciprocal nature of mercy, Jesus has another parable, another story he makes up, and he has a king who wants to settle his accounts with his slaves. Now, there's two problems there. One is no king would ever have an account with a slave. So anybody hearing this story would go, he's making this up, right? It's one of those Jesus stories. 
The other problem is, why would Jesus use slavery as an example? Why wouldn't he just say, slavery is evil? Humans can't own humans. I forbid you to have slaves. That would have saved us a lot of trouble in this country. But the Bible's kind of dripping with slavery all through it, which makes it very weird. People say, I believe every word in the Bible is true, and I want to say, have you read it? Because I don't think you want every word in the Bible to be true. Not really. I mean, slavery, the Old Testament tells you when you can beat a slave and when not to. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in that. There's something really wrong with this. And why Jesus would just use slavery like an everyday, you know, illustration. There was a king who had some slaves and he wanted, I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. In the same amount of time you told the parable, you could have abolished slavery. Now, I don't want to get up in Jesus's face because I've read the Old Testament. Um, and people have been turned into powder quickly. But I think God wants us to be honest when we read the text, don't you? I mean, struggle with it. Wrestle with it. Don't just swallow the Kool-Aid. Grab it. See what it does. I don't know what his purposes were for using slavery in a parable. I just want to go on record as saying I wish he wouldn't have done it. But he must have had some reasons. And so he has this slave owing the king, this is crazy, 10,000 talents. Do you know how much that is? Well, nobody really does, but, but when they do the research on it, they say 10,000 talents would probably equate something like 150,000 years of wages, of a normal wage. 150,000 years of wages. Now we know everybody's laughing. When Jesus, they hear this parable, they go, ha, ha, there's no way that would happen. So we're in hyperbole. I mean, Jesus is, you know, making it bigger than it's supposed to be. He owes the king 10,000 talents. And you know a slave can't pay that. And then Jesus has the, does the ridiculous thing. He has the king forgive the 10,000 talents from the slave. Now, you just, no. Nah. I mean, any king, one, no slave would owe him anything. B, if they did, he cut his head off. So this is a crazy story. He forgives him 150,000 years. Well, here's the kicker. Jesus has got his audience listening to him now. And he says, so this slave gets forgiven this big debt. Guess what he does? He goes out and says to a fellow slave, I think you owe me $1,500. And the slave said, yeah, I do. And he said, pay it. He says, well, I can't pay it. I I can't, I don't have that kind of money. I can't pay $1,500. And this forgiven slave throws his former slave in prison for 1,500 bucks. Jesus is making all this up. And everybody goes, my gosh, that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That is so unfair. <laughs> He's got you right where he wants you. And then he says, that's right, it is unfair. 
God has forgiven you an enormous debt. How can you hold your brothers and sisters by the throat? Oh. Oh, that means I got to forgive my husband. Or my wife. Or my son. For what he's done. That means I have to forgive my mother, who was an alcoholic and abusive. Not my mother, I'm just saying. That means I have to forgive my father for all the neglect, the times he wasn't there. I've been holding him by the throat my entire adult life. You mean I got to let him go? You know why mercy is so grinding when you have to give it? Because it is so unfair. That's the point of mercy. The prodigal son doesn't deserve it. The elder son doesn't deserve it. The slave doesn't deserve it. The person you're holding by the throat doesn't deserve it. The person holding you by the throat, you don't deserve it. Mercy doesn't show up where people are behaving themselves. (laughs) Mercy shows up in the brokenness of life where it makes no sense. When Jesus was on the cross, he he said seven things. There's that number. Seven things. And things you say on the cross are probably going to be pretty important, right? Because you're suffocating to death. That's what happens in crucifixion. So when he said seven things, people paid attention to it and they passed those around and eventually they got written down. And one of the things he said was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Really? Really? Did we not know what we were doing? Oh, I think we did. How do words of mercy come off a cross? See, that's not supposed to happen. And some of you have been put on crosses. Some of you have been hurt and wounded by somebody in your life. And the words of mercy should never come out of your mouth. I'm telling you. You're right. They don't deserve it. The king calls the slave back in. And he says, I I just want to check with you. Did I forgive you 150,000 years of wages? And the slave said, oh, yes, sir, and you don't know how much I appreciate it. And he said, yeah, I bet you do. Did I hear right that you went out and held a fellow slave by the throat for $1,500? Well, he owed me. He owed you. I'm going to saddle you back with your debt of 150,000 years of wages, and I'm going to put you in prison, and you're going to be in torture. You know why? Because you don't get it. When you've been forgiven as much as I have forgiven you, 
How can you hold your brother or sister by the throat? You have no right. And the only way you can get over to that side of the aisle and forgive that person is to be aware of the grace you have received on this side of the aisle. Forgive us our debts as, as we forgive. I only learned one thing in algebra. And Mr. White, I know he's dead and probably with Jesus now. He will be so happy that I learned one thing in algebra. I'm serious. I only learned one thing. This one thing, I have used it for 38 years of ministry. If you work on one side of the equation, you have to work on the other. Is that right? If you receive the forgiveness, you got to give it. It's what propels you to do it because you know the great debt that has been released for you. Well, this is a big deal. One of his eight Beatitudes, very complicated, but being complicated is no excuse for not getting to it. It's not indulgence, it's not permissiveness, it's grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. I know, that's twisted. Mercy doesn't make sense, it's not calculated, it's not about score, it's about healing. Reconciliation, changing the future. It's about living in the kingdom of God. That's where mercy happens. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the congregation says...